two. An attempt of 32 yards for the win. Only 50% this season from between 30 and 40, as you saw. It is right down the middle. I'm going to say this. Two weeks ago, the Jets, we kept blitzing. It cost you. If I was the New Orleans Saints, I would not blitz him. I would put the extra guys in coverage. Football Nation. My name is uh, Steve Bennett, and my co-host across the way here is Don Russ. Don, how's it going? We are introducing ourselves today. We're the Sportscasters. Uh, we are a couple kids from Buffalo, New York, and uh, we're good friends with uh, with the guys who who create Football Nation. And a couple of months ago, the idea came together that maybe the Sportscasters and Football Nation could join forces in some way to create something that would be enjoyable for everyone out there. And what we came up with was Football Nation presents the Sportscasters, and this is episode one of that project. It is Tuesday, April third, two thousand and twelve. Again, we're coming from Buffalo, New York. My name is Steve Bennett. My co-host is Don Russ. Off the top, there, you know, the way we're going to do this this week is we're going to start with some kind of highlight that's relevant to what we're doing. And the reason we started with the two that we picked out, the first one I played was Steve Christie's game-winning field goal in the 1993 AFC wildcard matchup between the Bills and the Oilers. And Steve Christie makes that field goal to give the Bills victory, and eventually they would turn that into their fourth consecutive trip to the Super Bowl. And Don, my guess is, being the Bills fan that you are, that is the culmination to this point of Bills fandom in your life. Yeah, that's about as... Uh... Good as it got. After the four losses, it's been pretty bleak since then. Now, the second clip you heard was, I said I was a boy from Buffalo that hasn't stopped me since uh, 1987 or early January 1988 when the Saints played their first playoff game. Uh, I sat down and watched football with my dad. Still to that point, I was mostly a hockey fan. Kind of resented the Bills for taking away some of the attention from the Sabres a little bit and wasn't a Bills fan. And that day... As the Saints fell to the Vikings, I believe it was 48-10, to 10, my heart broke and I fell in love with the team and I've been a fan ever since. And that Tracy Porter interception, the moment that I knew that the Saints, after everything they had put me through, were the Super Bowl champions is the culmination of, of my fandom. So as a way for us to introduce ourselves, that's two highlights that kind of define us as football fans. The, this podcast is, uh, as I said, a joint venture between Football Nation, which you can find or you have already found at www.footballnation.com. We're the sportscasters. We have a podcast that is going to run separately from this one that we record every week. And uh, you can find that at www.sports-casters.com. If you want to follow information about this podcast or about things that go on at Football Nation and Sportscasters, we suggest that you follow them on Twitter. They are at FB Nation. 
And you follow us on Twitter. We are at sports underscore casters. As for a week to week, what to expect from this show? We have a segment that we do on our other show, if you're familiar with that, called Three Things. That's the way that we kind of handle the news of the week. And we're going to start each show after a brief introduction with three things. After that, we're going to have an interview each week. This week, we're very excited that our first interview is with the great Peter King from Sports Illustrated, SportsIllustrated.com, NBC Sports. And he's going to join us for about a 20-minute interview. Then Don and I are going to come back, give you some information, close things out, maybe preview the next week. As we get into the season, we'll make predictions in that last segment. Uh, we've had some other ideas from some ways that we might close out the show. Answer email. Answer email, yeah. Our email is the sportscasters at gmail.com. And we encourage you to send us email this week. Let us know what you thought of the show, what you'd like to see more of, what you'd like to see less of. But I think the best way to do this is to just kind of jump into it. So let's start things out the way we will each week with uh, three things. Let's play a game. All right. Count of three. One. All righty. I'll take it off. Two. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. Three. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. <laughs> this is the funnest night ever. <laughs> The JETS, 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 are back in the news again. Uh, Not with a Tim Tebow-related story this time, but maybe an equally curious move. Uh, The Jets supposedly, it's not official yet, the Jets have not confirmed it, but have signed a player named Hayden Smith. Now, this Hayden Smith is not a football player. He's an Australian rugby player. 6'7", 240-pounder, former basketball player. Uh, He was born in Australia, played college basketball at Metropolitan State in Denver, took up rugby, made the U.S. national team, and now he plays professional rugby, or he did play professional rugby on a premier team in England. Now, these moves have worked in the past, particularly with tight ends. uh, Who played basketball, right? Right. Jimmy Graham. Guys have crossed over and made football their, their focus. But it seems... It's an easy thing to criticize the Jets for after the whole Tebow circus. I mean, how many of these hybrid trick players are they going to field every week? I mean, they're already saying Tebow is going to get 20 plays. Is this guy immediately going to be their starting tight end in front of uh, – Is that what they want him to do is play tight end? They, they believe he projects as a tight end in the NFL. I mean, they haven't even officially said they signed him yet. So uh, the, the Jets haven't said anything yet, but – well, there's all kinds of examples of this in the history of football. I mean, you have track guys who have tried to be wide receivers to some mixed success. Kadri Ismail is one of them, right? Well, yeah, the brother of uh, the Rocket. Rocket Ismail, right? Yeah. You know, and there's other examples of that. Looking back, uh, Willie Galt, I believe, of Tech Mobile fame from the Bears. <laughs> yeah. You know, he was a, a fast track guy, had some success. So then you mentioned the tight ends, the guys who have moved from basketball. And it's a copycat league. And the Jets are trying to get in that somehow, and they're going to try their new thing. And if this works out, my guess is there'll be three or four guys sure. from the world of rugby that will be signed and invited to a camp next year. Yeah, like I said, if this is any team other than the Jets, maybe you, you look at it and think, hmm, that, that's interesting. But because it's the Jets, it's easy to pick on right now because uh, their locker or their organization seems like a circus. And this is what they do. And you know what? Since you went there, let me go there too. My first thing is Jets-related as well. The word at SI.com today, and this is a 
story they picked up from the Associated Press. The word is that the Jets might be in the mix for hard knocks again this year. You know, my biggest regret looking back at the lockout is that we lost hard knocks because of it. I mean, I can deal with missing the Hall of Fame game for a year, but I was bummed not to have hard knocks. And I'll tell you what, I love the idea of thinking that the Jets might be this team because the NFL and HBO have said that there will be hard knocks before the season this year. It was just a one-year hiatus. The show's not canceled. It was just a, you know, a result of the lockout. And I think even with the lockout, they tried to find a team that might be interested still, and it wasn't there because of the cramped offseason that right, they had right. last year. So they did a smart thing. They took off. But, wow, the Jets are really going to do this? The Jets are going to have this whole Sanchez and Tebow, Tebow backdrop with HBO cameras there? Yeah, I mean – that locker room is a powder. And let's right go now. get a snack and all that. Yeah, I mean, this is this isn't a team that's projected to go four and twelve or anything like that. But they're a team that their fans expect a lot from, and they haven't got it lately. Uh, the let's go have a snack was great when it happened because the Jets, as a team, had this swagger. Uh, was that before or after the two? It was in between. In them, between I the championships. Yeah. Okay, so I mean, they had just come off a. AFC champion, uh, AFC championship appearance. I think Rex Ryan's act has gotten old. I think fans there are going to want to see him put up or shut up. I mean, they're sick of hearing him and seeing him in the news for running his mouth. They want to see him in the news because they're they're winning football games and beating the Patriots. Well, you know, the interesting thing is that Dustin Keller, uh, whose job maybe is in jeopardy now from this uh, <laughs> rugby player, he mentioned that. He thinks that, this is a quote, we would be good for hard knocks, especially with Rex's personality, the Tebow sure. trade. I definitely see how we would be appealing. With everything that's going on right now, there couldn't be any more exposure. Right. It would be Them and the hard, on hard knocks would be good for everybody except the Jets. Which, But they're the ones who are going to sign off on it. That's yeah. so crazy. They, you know, but their owner, Woody Johnson and Rex Ryan and Mr. T., this is what they do. This is what that organization is. They've been accused so, of that after uh, giant Super Bowls in the past. They signed Favre the one year, this year with Tebow, and the uh, circus just keeps on moving along, I guess. My second thing this week, the Wonderlick test. Uh, for those of you who don't know what it is, I'm sure you all do if you're here at Football Nation, but it's a test to test cognitive ability. It's 50 questions answered in five minutes. The scores are weighed differently. Uh, on each question and it's scored based on the difficulty of the questions and the pattern of your answers, not necessarily how much are answered correctly. And it's actually the most popular pre-employment test in use today. I didn't know that, but that's interesting. That said, Morris Claiborne, the top rated uh, corner in the NFL draft scored a four Ouch. out of 50 on the Wonderlick test. Four, huh? Uh, it's the lowest known dra- score of any prospect since Iowa state running back Darren Davis repeat, received a four in 2000. Uh, in 2006, Vince Young famously scored a 6 after retaking it, hitting a 16. But on the flip side, Dan Marino scored a 16 also and went on to a Hall of Fame career. What, the most interesting thing about this story isn't that there's people that do poorly on it because we've heard the stories before. But a 2009 study by professors at Fresno State, uh, the University of Georgia, and Townsend State found no connection between the Wonderlick scores and performance. They studied 762 players from 2002, 3, and 2004. And Michael 
or John Michael or Mitchell says in a quote, we found in no cases was cognitive ability related to football performance. We did, we did find a negative relationship for tight ends and defensive backs for defensive backs. It was the most pronounced. Basically the lower you scored, the better you performed. Wow. So this test, which people put maybe so not a lot of stock in, enough, but I mean, there's enough press about it. Apparently is meaningless. And in some cases is, Backwards, counterintuitive. And, you know, this will prove it. I have a bunch of scores here from different players of varied ability. And you tell me if you can find a, a pattern. All right, so Terrell Pryor, would you expect him to have a high or low Wonderlick? I would guess low. Yeah, and it was low. It was seven. Uh, w- what about Frank Gore? Would you expect Frank Gore to have a high or a low? I guess high. I don't know. No, it's low. It's six. Okay, right. You know, so there's an example there. Um, how about, okay, Vince Young, there was some debate whether he scored a 6 or a 16. Right. Uh, Clay Matthews scored a 27. That's a good score. Uh, Michael Vick scored a 20. That's higher than I would have thought. You want to you wanna name off the charts? 42, Blaine Gabbert. Really? Yeah. Okay, That's so now of all him. the rookie quarterbacks last year, he was the one that was maybe the shakiest. Sure. Ryan Leaf. Wow, what an idiot he was, right? He scored a 27. Not bad at all. Right. Adrian Peterson who carries himself as well as anyone in the league, 16, maybe not that great of a score. You said Dan Marino, he was a 15, right? Terrell Suggs, 31, really great score there. Brett Favre was a 22. Mike Mamula, who was a bust in the draft, he was a he scored a 49. Yeah, I mean... Peyton Manning, the best football mind maybe ever, 28. <laughs> so. I mean, these numbers show that maybe this, this not, not even maybe, this test is overrated, uh... Any news you hear about it, don't take it with a grain of salt. Maybe the NFL needs to develop their own sort of test. If they really want to test their intelligence, maybe uh, have some sort of video where they're like the defensive players watch the offense and then they try to call out like how they should shift or whatever. This isn't working. I mean, as the one stat said, it's the highest. Uh, what did I say? It's employment. the number one pre-employment test yeah. in the country. Maybe football players shouldn't be taking the same pre-employment tests as uh, mortgage brokers or. Uh, bankers or whatever it it's proven time and time again that this test is meaningless well my second thing is about knuckleheads in football and here's a f- kind of a funny story about one lions running back michaela shore was caught chewing marijuana the hmm. other day uh he was pulled over uh, obviously had a stash on him you know <laughs> okay. he saw the lights you know he sees him in the background he panics a little bit Oh, man, what am I going to do? You know what I mean? This isn't good. So he takes the stash out of his pocket, and he puts it in his mouth, and he starts chewing it up. So the police report said that LaShore was in the passenger seat of a stop car in Interstate 94 in Lake Township. The officer reported seeing him chewing marijuana and noticed small pieces on his shirt. (laughs) Uh, They were ticketed. Him and the driver were ticketed for marijuana possession, and the Lions said they're aware of the reports and are getting more information. So this was just kind of something that cracked me up. You know, I picture him with the 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 pieces going down his face and into his shirt. And yeah. what a disaster that is. So yeah, not good, <laughs> Mr. LaShore. Not good at all. We had uh, kind of two negative ones in a row. They were poor Wonderlick in a, in a police stop. Maybe uh, throughout the year we'll have to make sure to include some uh, positive NFL stories. I know NFL uh, news headlines can sometimes be negative in nature. All right, so number three for you, Doc. Number three, I'm going to take this right from our hosts here at Football Nation. And uh, 
I noticed they did a pretty cool thing there. If you go over to footballnation.com, the front page story right now, or one of them on their little uh, news scroll thing, is a cool thing they did it with the, they called it the 2012 Football Movies Mock Draft. What they did is they went through and they drafted players from movies. The example being uh, round one was Frank Cushman from Cush from Jerry Jerry Maguire. First pick. First pick overall. Yep. And they said they did base it somewhat on the team's needs. And uh, Right, so the Colts need a quarterback. quarterback. And they said characters based on real-life players are not eligible, so you can't draft Michael Orr okay. or anybody like that. Can't pick Rudy? I guess not. Okay. <laughs> well, what I wanted to say is I went through this list, and I think they have – they go into the second round or day two – in the draft, and I, I see nowhere on there do I see Airbud, the golden re- retriever. Yeah, he was fantastic. Golden receiver. I can't believe he didn't, because there's some need out there at receiver. I'm surprised he didn't, he didn't right, sleep in. Right, and I went through and put down a little bit of a, a scouting report on Airbud. First of all, he's a multi-sport athlete. He was right. a basketball player. a Hockey. I don't have the hockey one. No, I thought he played hockey. He was a gold, there was a monkey that played hockey. Oh, is that what I'm thinking of? Uh, Airbud, was first one was basketball, then he played receiver. Uh, Airbud World Pup, he was a soccer player. Right. Seventh inning fetch, he was a baseball player. And Spikes Back, his last uh, journey there, he was a volleyball player. I, I was really happy to see Sinbad make the list. Or uh, <laughs> I should say Andre Kim, outside uh, line, uh, offensive lineman for necessary roughness. But I... I Coming up with more research, I found that uh, Golden Retrievers can run as fast as 20 to 25 miles per hour. Yeah, they're quick. And I, I based that on uh, someone asking it on answers.yahoo.com, so that has to be <laughs> accurate. He'd be hard to tackle. He's, he would he's be. low yeah. to the ground. Can he catch, though? His hands yeah, are Yeah, he's a Golden. Issue. He catches it with his mouth, right. so that would be uh, – he'd need a special helmet. He cuts great. I mean, he'd be low to the ground. Right. Uh, he'd be like Wes Welker with like a Deshaun Jackson speed. The only downside I can come up with is he might be a bit of an injury risk. Golden Retrievers <laughs> do tend to uh, be susceptible to bad joints. So right. maybe that knocked him right out of the, the first two rounds. But I, I think somewhere, if you dug, dug deeper, there's a sleeper pick in Airbud. Yeah, and Forrest Gump, 31. That's good value there. I thought Waterboy was a little underdrafted, too, at number 11. Yeah, I mean, I he's mean, dominant. He, he jumps over the line and picks off kicks and runs them back for touchdowns and very dominant but dominant player. i'm i'm happy to see forrest gump make it uh, again questions there in terms of his squad the <laughs> wonder like maybe not but, that great but yeah check it out uh footballnation.com it's on their front page right now they had a good time with it they projected uh some of the players like their upside potential and downside potential so uh there you go check it out all right, my last thing for today and the last thing in the first ever edition of three things in the Football Nation Sportscasters Podcast Project. The NFL unveiled uh, or unveiled, excuse me, new uniforms today that have been made by Nike. Uh, they're flashy. Uh, they're supposedly technologically more advanced. Um, so you can go all over. There's lots of coverage of it today, but... Um, you know, they were unveiled in New York. Uh, Nike Elite 51 NFL uniform were unveiled in Brooklyn. Uh, 
I mean, to the naked eye, they don't look that much different. Apart no, a lot from of them are the same. The Seahawks is maybe the biggest change. Right, but a lot of it is that, you know, some teams were not allowed to change drastically because oh, okay. of uh, NFL rules in terms of how often you can switch uniforms. I looked at the Saints one, and to me it looked identical to what the Saints have worn. But with a lot of teams, I think the difference is going to be, again, just the performance of the jersey itself. We've seen this happen in the National Hockey League few years ago, and, and it was not received very favorably, no. and they kind of bailed on that. But that was a Reebok project. I'll say, though, with Nike, uh, I mentioned the Seahawks are the biggest change, and you already get the feel. And I don't know that Nike designers decide this because I'm sure the team has some say in it. There's no way the team just they do. turns it, it over. It was said that Nike cannot make anyone change it. That said, Nike, if you look at, uh, who is it, Oregon? Yep. Does the Nike jerseys? Everything looks so similar, so futuristic, and like the Seahawks now have the feathers on their uh, legs, I believe, and uh, everything looks so sharp and robotic, and even the numbers on the Seahawks jerseys kind of look like like mean numbers. They're outlined, like, outlined in a crazy green. Color. Yeah, everything. I don't know the Nike jerseys. Everything looks so like overly sleek. And like arena football-y. Like I, right. I feel like everything is too too little stylized and Well Ben Roethlisberger disagrees. He says that it's not the old mesh. It really breathes well. Okay, so, so from a from that. a performance standpoint it's right. cool. But from looks I mean I'm only thirty years old, so I'm like not old enough to be too into uh purist looks or anything like that. But like the Browns, the Packers Steelers, 49ers, those are all classic looks that are never going to change. But, I mean, I just get the feeling like if Nike had their their choice with some of these logos, they would all look sleek and shiny and fast and mean. Like, everything has to look mean. One last quote. Jermichael Finley from Green Bay says that he likes the Seahawks jerseys a lot. He said the Seahawks have crazy uniforms. They look Hopefully like the Green Bay decides to switch it up and go with the look of 2012. If you look good, you wow. play good. If you play good, you get paid good. Seahawks have the best uniforms out there right now. I, I guarantee if you took that poll in Green Bay right now, it would be like <laughs> 99% no to however many 12-year-old fans out there. Look I love good. it, though. If you look good, you play good. If you play good, you get paid good. And the slogan that goes along with all these uh, corny new jerseys is, fast is faster. Mm. <laughs> all right. Well, that was a fast and hopefully faster version of our uh, opening segment each week here called Three Things. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a break. It's going to be a real short break, like it's going to be like a second. And then we're going to be back <laughs> Podcast magic. with uh, Peter King, the great Peter King from Sports Illustrated and uh, SportsIllustrated.com, NBC Sports Network. Our first guest is from Springfield, Massachusetts, and is a graduate of Ohio University. After graduation, he began working at the Cincinnati Inquirer, where he covered college sports and professional football from 1980 to 1985. Next, he spent four years covering Bill Parcells and the New York Giants for Newsday. In 1989, he started to work for Sports Illustrated, where he is now a senior writer. In 1997, his Monday morning quarterback column debuted, and today it is a must-read for fans, league insiders, and anyone who loves the NFL. 
Currently, he is a reporter for NBC's Football Night in America studio show. In 2009, he won the Dick McCann Memorial Award given to Professional Football Writers of America members who have provided long and distinguished service to the profession. In 2010, he was named the National Sports Writer of the Year. A warm football nation presents the sportscasters' welcome to the great Peter King. How are you doing today, Peter? Hey, thanks a lot. That's the nicest introduction I've ever had in my life. <laughs> Thank you. We, we pride ourselves on thanks. those. We try to do as good a job we can. Hey, congratulations on a great season by uh, your Ohio University basketball team. I was following along. And that was, was that was pretty that was pretty amazing. That was a, that was a lot of fun to watch over the year over the year over the end of the year. But uh, I, I think it just it shows me how much fun March Madness is because I don't watch any basketball the whole year. I barely know who's on the Ohio U team, um, but. You know, I'm jumping up and down and yelling at the TV in late in the second half against North Carolina. So that was that was fun. Yeah, I mean, what a game! First of all, for them to make you know we're we're here in Buffalo and uh, you know they play with UB, who was one of the better teams in the conference this year. Didn't quite make it to the tournament, so then we you know we watched to see how that conference does every year, and it was great to see them really show the conference great by making it to the Sweet 16 and then really scaring North Carolina. So it was really exciting. One thing that hasn't been quite as exciting, especially for me, someone who, despite being from Buffalo, has bled black and gold since I was seven years old and is really one of the biggest Saints fans out there, has been this mess that is the bounty scandal. And this week, probably the biggest news in the National Football League is that Roger Goodell is going to hear uh, Coach Payton and the Saints appeal. And I guess what I want to know from you, someone who's covered this story so well and had a fantastic cover story on SI a few weeks ago, I couldn't believe how sad I was to see my Saints on the cover of SI, but it was true. What what do you think becomes of this appeal, if anything? Well, I doubt that the appeals are going to work. Um, but, um, and that's one of the reasons is because of the way that the appeal process has been set up. I mean, Sean Payton has sat in front of Roger Goodell twice in the last five to six weeks. First, to answer the original charges, and then secondly, um, he flew to New York to basically try to convince Goodell that he didn't know as much as about what was going on <clears throat> as the league thought he did. Um, and, look, I don't know what Goodell thinks, but I can only imagine what he thinks, and that is that what possibly could Sean Payton tell me in an appeal that he hasn't already told me? Um, you know, he was fighting for his football life, and when he was doing that, he, you know, seemed... He, I would think he would have told Goodell everything <clears throat> that Goodell could possibly have, have wanted to hear. Um, so I would doubt that that appeal, in fact, I doubt that any of the appeals are going to work, but they'll be heard by the end of this week, and then I would expect that Goodell would rule Monday or Tuesday on all of them. One thing that Peyton did say about the appeal is that he wanted another chance to sit in front of the commissioner to fully understand the parameters of the suspension and how exactly it will work. You know, I, I kind of think of like a baseball manager who gets thrown out of a game, and I, I find it hard to believe that that short distance between the clubhouse and the dugout is preventing him from making decisions. And I wonder how this is going to work. You're going to send Sean Payton home 
And then what? I mean, do you have any idea how this exactly is going to work? Like, he just can't well, speak to anyone? Or I, when I when I talked to league officials last week uh, at the NFL meetings, <clears throat> they they basically made it clear that there was no way that they were going to be able to prevent um, Peyton from having any contact with the with Saints officials during the season and. I think all that they, uh, I think if this is going to, this, this suspension is going to have basically two major rules. One, you can't go to the facility. You can't go to, to your office, um, during the year that you're out of the game. Uh, and two, we're going to set up some ground rules about how much you can and can't talk to, um, you know, people in the organization. Now, I feel sure that they're not going to lay out rules that say you can't talk to Drew Brees during the year or whatever. I, I, they're not going to do that. But I think that they'll definitely limit the contact that Peyton uh, can have with whoever the interim coach is, uh, you know, presumably at this point, Bill Parcells. And they'll limit the contact and they'll also limit, you know, how much that he actually uh, I mean, how, what he actually can speak to him about. You know, one thing that surprised me a little bit in this whole thing is how it seems like really guys I respect a lot, like your colleague Don Banks and John John Clayton from ESPN have written about how they think that this completely eliminates the Saints from contention this year. Do you feel that same way, or do you think, you know, with... I don't. No, yeah. Okay. I, I, don't think it, I don't think it eliminates them from contention because... You know, I, I spoke to somebody in the organization not long after this. Um, not long after this happened, and he's he, he, because I told this person I think there's going to be, you know, coach, player, and front office suspensions. Um, and you know, this person told me, "Look, I, I can tell you that if even one person is suspended, this will be one of the great motivating forces." that any team has ever had. I want to ask you, switching gears a little bit, about the Bills. And we're in Buffalo here, and for so many years, there's been so much frustration here with the long playoff drought. And I was so impressed with the way the Bills set their goals for free agency. Sure, they they let Robert Meacham slip, but I think part of that was because they were focused so much on making sure they landed Mario Williams. And then they had the Mark Anderson signing. Do you think the Bills made a little bit of a statement that they can still compete as the Buffalo Bills in the NFL the way it's set up in this post-lockout world? You know, the Bills, to me, uh, have done as much, with the exception of the Denver Broncos getting Manning, they've done as much as any team in the offseason right now in free agency in terms of sending a message to every team in their division and to every team in the league. You know, the Giants in two of the last five Super Bowls have shown that what wins in the NFL on defense is sending waves of rushers at the quarterback. Not just one or two, but five or six. And, you know, even though I was a little surprised to hear Chan Gailey um at the NFL meetings, talk about how you know they're more interested in Mark Anderson as more of an every down or multi down player than the Patriots were. 
Um, I, I, hey, look, if I were the Bills, I'd be very happy if I get 450 snaps or 400 snaps out of Mark Anderson because I think that he'll be very, very productive in those snaps, um, especially because, because you've also got Chris Kelsey. But I just think right now you look at Mario Williams you know, rushing from the left, um, you know, a triumvirate of good tackles coming from the inside, led by Kaya Williams. And then, you know, on the right side, Mark Anderson and Kelsey, and and then probably one or two other um, players who, um, you know, either are, are not as well-noted or who are coming in the draft. I just think that they have told the rest of the league that we've got a really good pass rush and you're not going to shut us down if you shut one of our guys down. You know, there's a story on SI.com today that an executive for the company that wants to build the stadium in downtown Los Angeles said that they're still committed to the idea. And, um, you know, that nervous, that makes people in Buffalo really nervous. I, I know everyone's worried that will the Bills be that team. Do you think that what they've done this offseason distance is them from being a team that might move, or do you think that they're still in because I mean I've seen pictures of a new stadium potentially in San Francisco that's going to be breaking ground. I mean the number of teams that might move there it seems like it's getting smaller and smaller. Are the Bills still in that mix ultimately? I guess they're going to be in that mix until the next owner post Ralph Wilson uh, takes over the team, and then you know what his his or her plans are. Um, the team will not be moved as long as Ralph Wilson is alive. After that, obviously all bets are off. Right. I believe that the Bills are not a leading candidate to move. I think they're going to stay in western New York, um, and they're going to stay there by economically by doing something that nobody in Buffalo wants them to do, and that's to play two games a year or something like that every year in Toronto. And I understand how distasteful that is for the people of Western New York, not that they hate Toronto, but, you know, to lose a home game or two every year. But, you know, financially, if they don't do something like that, then it just makes them easy to be stolen by somebody, especially, uh, you know, after Ralph Wilson owns the team. Football Nation and the Sportscasters are here with our first guest ever, the great Peter King. And, Peter, I guess the next thing in the NFL world is going to be the draft, and we're all looking forward to it in a couple weeks in New York. You had a story today on SI.com about how Robert Griffin III declined to work out for the Colts. You didn't think that was a big deal. Do you think the Colts are still leaning towards Andrew Luck, or is the possibility of them maybe taking Griffin opening up more and more as we get closer to this draft? Well... I think there's a couple of reasons for what Robert Griffin III is doing. I mean, number one, really, he's at, he's at such a high right now in terms of what people think of him, and I don't know what a workout does to help that. I, don't, I really don't know. Um, and that's number one. And number two, let's say that you know that the two teams who are in play for you are Indianapolis and Washington. You're Robert Griffin III. Do you want to go to Indianapolis and have to deal with the pressure of succeeding Peyton Manning 
when you don't really know how good that team is, and it certainly doesn't look very good right now, um, or do you want to go to a team coached by a guy who's won two Super Bowls who's been dying to get his hands on a talented quarterback for over a decade since he lost John Elway and Mike Shanahan. Um, I'd much rather go Shanahan myself. And, you know, I just think that it just makes a lot of sense and sort of fits in the the whole, uh, you know, the whole deal about how it just makes too much sense for Andrew Luck to go to the Colts and Robert Griffin III to go to Washington. Outside of the big two quarterbacks at the top there, what else are you going to be looking to see play out at the draft in a couple of weeks? What, what other stories are, are you following that interest you? Well, I think the next biggest story is are the Miami Dolphins going to spend what it takes to move up uh, to get Ryan Tannehill. And I think that everybody, basically everybody I know who covers the game, we're all just shaking our head that, that Ryan Tannehill could be the third pick in the draft. But I think there is a real possibility that that could happen. Uh, I think Miami could trade the sun and the moon to move up five spots, and Minnesota would be very, very happy to accommodate them. Um, to pick up, say, next year's one and maybe something else. Um, so I think that's going to be the biggest question. Does you know does Miami lay out enough draft capital uh, to move ahead of Cleveland and uh, to get that third pick in the draft? That's going to be number one. And I think number two is what are we going to see out of the St. Louis Rams who – right now are going to have, uh, you know, so many high picks in the next three years, six first and second round picks uh, in the next three drafts. Um, talking to Jeff Fisher at the NFL meetings last week, one of the things that he said to me was, he said, look, we still are very interested in the prospect of trading down uh, with our first pick. And, wow. you know, they've got the sixth pick overall. So imagine they flip that, go down and pick up something, let's say another two. Um, you know, for years we've been looking at the New England Patriots as the power brokers of the draft. Well, right now, to me, the St. Louis Rams, you know, I, I, I don't remember a team that can look three years out and can say this year, next year, and the year after, we've got extra picks high in every one of those drafts and uh, you know just it, it's it's I wouldn't call it mind-boggling but I would just simply say that this is a team right now that you know if they are even if they even get a B minus in drafting over the next three years this is going to be a team to be reckoned with do you still believe in Sam Bradford I do I mean, he only had one injury-plagued year, and I know that he got hurt in college. Um, but until I see him, you know, miss more time because of injury, and, you know, he was obviously, you know, solid his first year, um, until I see him miss more time, I'm not going to call him injury-prone. I mean, Phil Sims missed time in four of his first 
five years in the NFL due to injury, and he turned out to be about as durable and as tough and physically imposing a quarterback as there was in the era in which he played. So I, I'm, I still do believe in Bradford, yeah. Last thing, Peter, and we'll let you go on this. I'd be crazy if I didn't ask you about what seems like could be just a crazy situation in New York this week with San or this year with Sanchez and Tebow now there. Do you do you think it's going to be as challenging a year as I do for Sanchez? With every time it seems like a ball is going to hit the turf there, someone's going to be calling for Tebow. Do do you think that Tebow? being brought in shows a lack of confidence with the Jets and Sanchez, or do you think that it's just the way that organization is? They love to bring guys in. They, they This is what they do. They bring the guys in. They might be on hard knocks again this year. That's the kind of organization they are. Or do you think it is the other thing, and that's a little bit less confidence in, in Sanchez? Well, I don't think that they have a lot of confidence in Sanchez. Um and they've shown it twice so far this offseason. They wanted to get involved in um, uh, with Peyton Manning and couldn't. And then they wanted to, um, uh, you know, they obviously wanted to see if they could better themselves at quarterback and did so by getting Tim Tebow. Um, and I laughed at Woody Johnson this week saying that something to the effect that I think Mark will be fine with it. Mark Sanchez is not going to be fine with this. What quarterback is going to be fine with being taken off the field from between 5 and 15 to 20 snaps every game? Nobody. So I just think now you're looking at, you know, the Jets are basically saying, look, we're not going to, um, we're not going to risk having a quarterback meltdown again. If anything, we're going to bring in a quarterback have competition with him and to try to get more production out of this position. There he is, the great Peter King. You can follow him on Twitter, and I certainly recommend you do. It's one of the best feeds out there at SI underscore Peter King. His Monday morning quarterback column is, is, appears every Monday. He does some great stuff with the NBC broadcasts and now the NBC Sports Network. We're looking forward to, to, to as the season progresses here, Peter, to to follow everything you do, and we really appreciate you being the first guest on this new pro- project. We couldn't thank you enough. Hey, my pleasure. Listen, I wish you a lot of luck. Thank you, Peter. Thank All right, I have to thank the great Peter King from Sports Illustrated and SportsIllustrated.com for being with us today on this debut episode of Football Nation Presents the Sportscasters. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. You know, this is basically what it's going to be right there. I think we laid it out pretty well. We're going to start things off each week with a little intro. We're going to do three things. We're going to have an interview. We're going to come back and say goodbye. And there's some things I want to leave you with today. First, I want to remind you of the email address. It's the sportscasters at gmail.com. Please let us know what you think. What did you like? What didn't you like? What do you want to see? What do you want to see in the future? Um, anything like that, you know, and uh, we're going to try to read emails every week in this last section here. So let us know. Also, we got to thank Kerry J. Byrne. We got to thank everyone sure. at Football Nation for bringing us on board. We're really excited to be a part of the team. 
We're excited to uh, be a part of this project. So we want to thank Carrie. We want to thank everyone at Football Nation. We want to thank everyone at Cold Hard Football Facts. Uh, we want to just let everyone know how excited we're, we are to be a part of this. If you need more information about Football Nation, about the sportscasters, really, I want you to check out Twitter. You can you can find Football Nation there at FBallNation. And we are at sports underscore casters. Uh, our website's another great place to go www.footballnation.com where you can, as Don said, find a really cool piece that uh, about the uh, movie draft. And also our website is www.sports-casters.com. And like we said, there's another podcast out there that if you like this, you might like. And that this week happens to be Season 2, Episode 13 of the Sportscasters. That show is going to feature interviews with Lee Jenkins from Sports Illustrated, Jane Levy, the author of uh, The Last Boy, uh, autobiography of Mickey Mantle and uh, Adrian Dater from the Colorado or the Denver Post, where Woody Page is from, and also Sports Illustrated. Do some hockey talk there. You can find that podcast, as I said, on sports-casters.com and iTunes. That's about it, Don. Is there anything you want to add before we uh, we kind of sign off here? No, just thanks for listening. All right, it's cold in Buffalo. Let's go to California. <laughs>